0: I'm Frederick Curtin and I'm the filmmaker.
1: And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate.
0: Good morning, Leilani. So you've been out walking your dog in the snow again.
1: Still snow, still cold in Ottawa. Yeah. But no honking.
0: That's The good. trucks have That's gone. A one step forward. Over here, we are living very close to... A huge, huge conflict. The first refugees from Ukraine are arriving to our country right now. And we are all totally 24-7 consuming this horrible story. Yes. So it's a, it's, it's a very scary time for us. But still, we're going to talk about Mexico.
1: Let's go far away. Let's go yeah, far away to Mexico. No, but I
0: think it's also... Uh, I mean, we should be solidarity with the Ukrainian people, and we should also be solidarity with, with the Russian people who live under this dictatorship. But I think we also keep. I mean, if we want to create a better world, we have to keep working on what we can do. And and this podcast is also about how we can fight these kleptocratic networks that are ruling the world. I think it's very interesting now that there is such so much focus on on the Russian. Oligarchs, the Russian kleptocrats, which is, I mean, there are Mexican kleptocrats and there are uh, Swedish kleptocrats and there are Canadian. I mean, so this is like it goes with all kind of flags.
1: Absolutely, but it's interesting because we're seeing some push to change some laws so that the kleptocrats can't get away with it any longer. And while it's aimed right now at the Russian oligarchs, it will have an impact on the canadian the swedish the mexican etc so the american so it's good
0: it it is really interesting i mean push the film we talk a lot about london uh, you know and and london is now a, a big story in this because there's so yes. much russian money but we know it's also ukrainian stolen money it's also uh, from nigeria it's also from malaysia it's from everywhere so it's uh, exactly it can be a moment to push governments to actually do something about this where a lot of this kind of absent homeowners people who own homes and don't live there and that's very much a feature of this kind of stolen money story and parking money in in homes that's right but let's go to mexico uh, i'm going to mexico next week and it's uh, it's cool because push is having a it's Mexican premiere I mean we already had a festival premiere but now it's going to be released all over the country on theaters and I'm going there to to meet the audience and talk to media and it's it's cool uh, I'm so really happy that it's it's happening after all this time and then this coincides with Mexico suddenly having a very strong housing debate and it's a lot of a- anger was kicked out with an, American, nomad, digital worker sitting in Mexico City because it's nicer, better weather, and cheaper during the pandemic. And her name was Becca Sherman. And she tweeted, do yourself a favor, remote work in Mexico City. It's truly magical. It's a very (laughs) innocent little tweet. But people got angry. I mean, it was like a storm on, on Twitter around this. Because, of course, if it's very cheap for American remote worker, it's not so cheap for other ones. So so this is like a very classical... Leilana, you've seen this conflict in in Portugal or in many other places.
1: Absolutely. It created quite a brouhaha in the Twitterverse, that's for sure. Uh, And as you say, it's sort of an innocent comment until you actually think about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, my normal take would be is that... It's very easy to get, you know, very angry on an American girl who is ignorant and stupid and sits there and and, and makes money and, uh, you know, uh, renting a space and pays too much. But we know, Leilani, you know that it's different factors that are running up the prices on, on in, a, in a city like Mexico.
1: Yeah, it's a big system thing. We know that it it is related to the way in which housing is treated and her ability. Ability to work from Mexico, the magical place, is facilitated, in fact, by this bigger system. It's not about Becca Sherman. Or-
0: no, I, I, I would like to meet her. I hope she can come to our screening. If you listen to this, <laughs> Becca, you're welcome. We will protect you. Um, this time, we're going to try something different. We actually invited four different Mexican friends to be part of our podcast to help us... Uh, understand the situation in mexico so we're going to jump around a little bit but we're going to start up with a, a, a young man uh, andres de la pena from guadalajara and he is a bachelor in international relations and he, he looked into a lot of this stuff i i don't know anything about academics so i can't really, really he's a journalist it, he's a journalist okay yeah. anyway, but <laughs> Welcome to Pushback Talks, uh, Andrés. Tell us about what made you dive into this.
2: Hello, Leilani. Hello, Frederick. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, What made me dive into this? Well, uh, I started looking for a house and I couldn't get a house. And everyone in my sort of generation started looking for a house and they they weren't able to get houses. So I started looking into it. And many of the neighborhoods here in Guadalajara, where, where I grew up, have transformed a lot. And yeah, there's, there's something to say there about gentrification, but what really struck me is that the very first story that I ever reported was about a building that got built and caused a lot of problems for its neighbors, services-wise, uh, zoning-wise, and now, uh, four, five years later, after I had first reported this story, I went back and I found that it was empty. And then I started looking at a lot of empty buildings uh, in, na- in the neighborhood I grew up in, in the neighborhoods my friends grew up in, and I started looking into that. What did we do? We checked their electricity bills, their water bills, their taxes paid to city. Um, we checked. We even checked the census uh, data, and we found out that yeah, all of these buildings, which promised to sort of uh, drive up. Um, the value of neighborhoods and to pull people in were actually pushing people out and they were empty themselves. So we did like a, a huge hullabaloo about it and we, we investigated like 40 buildings or 50 buildings.
0: Really cool. And it was it Becca Sherman on all the contracts?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it wasn't Becca. Like we checked, <laughs> we checked, we were very suspicious of her, like Twitter <laughs> was, but uh, unfortunately no, yeah, Becca was just uh, an innocent uh, Twitter user.
0: but i think it's i mean the the, this is like what you're talking about is is a systematic intervention of big monies into your city and i know know guadalajara is a very big city in mexico Uh, i don't know how many five six ten million people it's a lot of people isn't it but still
2: yeah yeah and it's a full system we we got testimonies from people who who told us like straight up they told us do you know how much it costs to bribe a state judge for us to pass a building. It costs $2,500 and a single flat can be sold for up to uh, $800,000. So it's actually, there's a whole system where you can either bribe a state judge or bribe uh, the municipal government in order to get a construction permit uh, where there should be none, where there are no services, where there is no streets to to uh, house so many cars, where there is absolutely no way you can fit a, a 20-story building, there are there is already a system set in place for you to bribe your way through that and to get your building anyway, which doesn't matter uh, how like sort of housing-wise or like uh, usability-wise for these buildings because they're empty. They're they're not actually housing. They're not houses. They're just financial products. Uh, they're used for investment. So uh, they get away with it very often.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, th- this is what we talked about. Gentrification is something that is used very much in the Mexican debate, that word. Do you, would you call that phenomenon that you investigated in the Guadalajara gentrification?
2: I think financialization of housing goes sort of beyond gentrification. Like, I, I wish these buildings were getting like... Uh, Used by people who maybe come from a, a higher income bracket and are displacing other people. But this is just capital displacing people. There is no people. I, I wouldn't call it gentrification because uh, there is there is no one coming into these neighborhoods. One out of five uh, housing units in these neighborhoods where, where the buildings get built are empty. One out of five. And the, and this were supposed to uh, sort of re densify the city, at least that's, that what, that's what the municipal and the state government said uh, when they started allowing these buildings. They said, we are going to drive people back into Guadalajara. And it was a lie. From 2010 to 2020, we lost 7% of our population. They were all driven uh, to the outskirts of city. And these buildings, are like the neighborhoods they are in, are more empty than anywhere else in the city. So I wouldn't call it gentrification.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating, especially because in my work on financialization, everyone is always like, oh, you're only talking about San Francisco and Singapore and Hong Kong and London and New York. And I'm always saying, no, this is happening everywhere. And Mexico is now another case in point. It's happening everywhere, wherever profit can be made off of investing, as you say, not in housing, investing in a unit that might be called housing, um, but really is just a financial instrument. I'm interested to know, so people are being pushed. You said, what, 7% of the population is has been pushed out of Guadalajara and is living in the, the outskirts. center of the city, yeah. 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 And so, what are the conditions? Where, like, what are they? What kinds of places are they living when they live in the periphery? And are they coming back to Guadalajara, the center, to work? And is it expensive, or how does that work?
2: It, it can be explained with, like, thankfully, it can be explained with simple economics. So when they move out, uh, they find maybe that the the further away you live from the from the center, the better the housing you can get. So, so to speak, the, the, the larger the housing you can get. You can get more meters. Uh, the closer you come into the center of the city, you get worse quality housing. You live in, in very reduced spaces. But there's also a problem. The further away you go from the center, the harder it is to get security, to get uh, sanitized water, to get electricity. So they have like families. They have to do like this whole uh, operation in their minds about okay. So what am I getting and what am I giving away? Maybe I'm going to spend three hours a day on transportation, but I'm going to be able to live in a in a, in a house with my family instead of sharing. Uh, just to have it like as a ballpark, um, the average income in Guadalajara and Zapopan, uh, which are the two like most. Uh, the two municipalities that are like at the core of the metro area, the average income of a household, not a person, of a household is enough to pay 60% of the average rent price. So they have to do alchemy to pay a house (laughs) here. Yeah, they they either have to um, lower their standards a lot, or they have to live in a really cramped space, or they have to live really far away. So what we are seeing is a sacrifice of adequate housing, uh, and we are passing it as access to housing. That's not really access to housing. It's not access to adequate housing. It's just access to somewhere to sleep, you know? It's not really, it's not really adequate.
0: Really, really cool to have you here on La Peña in, in Guadalajara. It's, I'm really happy that you're, you're giving us these facts. Uh, We have another guest who actually had to get up really early in the morning because she's in California. Uh, Actually, the the California north of the border, but quite close, it's in Irvine, uh, Southern California, at the University there, Alejandra Reyes. You've also been looking into this, uh, the same kind of subject matters, haven't you?
3: I have for quite a long time. Um, and well, first of all, thanks for, for having us here. I'm always an avid listener of your show, and I do appreciate you bringing to the forefront really pressing matters globally right i'd I'd like to respond to a couple of things that have been said before and also i will try to keep my own discussion of my own research uh, as brief as i can so going back to the tweet that you mentioned uh, frederick it made me think of phenomena that it's not new right like we actually have whole cities uh, and we have had them for a while. San Miguel de Allende, Cancun, and 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 others that that are actually sort of like retirement communities almost for uh, either people from the U.S. or Europe, right? And so, and so that that has been I don't want to say an issue, but but that has been happening. Uh, for a really long time. The topics that I think globally are in, uh, we're increasingly looking at in terms of financialization and, and housing pressures and displacement are great in the sense that I think we're getting more attention to them, but I think it's largely and frequently because it's affecting more middle and upper middle income sectors of society, whereas lower income sectors of, of Mexican society have been struggling with, with housing. Uh, pressures for a really long time. And so the work that I sort of have been focusing on for the the last several years centers on processes that began really, if we think about it, since the 1990s after sort of like the debt crisis um, that hit many Latin American countries, and that forced us to restructure our economies. And so that led to a series of reforms and and with respect to housing, that meant that we were supposed to open our economies and and our sort of like credit uh, access. But we introduced very, very subprime mortgage schemes, like I would argue actually even worse than the ones that were introduced here in the U.S. that led to the global financial crisis. And the reason why I think this is important, even though it seems that it's a little bit on the past or in the rearview mirror in the Mexican context, it's because these sort of like policy uh, schemes tend to be transferred continuously to other countries, right? And it's important to, to emphasize that a lot of what I'm talking about, even if I, if I go a little bit back in time, it's pressures that are affecting Mexican families today. So in a nutshell, the effort and the intent was to build a lot of housing and to push really very significantly a lot of households to enter into mortgage debt. Mortgage debt has not quadrupled it has grown to seven times the value of its, its the, the original housing units, which it's also been argued by how incipient housing organizations that these uh, housing values were actually inflated. And these uh, peri-urban developments throughout Mexico also are in very, very poor conditions uh, for the most part. right? They lack access to adequate infrastructure services, job opportunities, transportation access, And in reality, one of the things that's also problematic is that these same schemes have been adopted in 2015 by Argentina under MACRI, now in Brazil under Bolsonaro. We heard a lot about how there was with Mia Casa, Mia Vida, uh, a lot of housing development. That is true, but I think it's important to note significant differences and the amount of subsidies that went into housing low-income sectors in the Brazilian context and into having uh, progressive mortgage rates. And, and that's something that's being introduced actually currently in the Mexican context this is... through a lot of push.
0: And Leila, this is something that you when you talk to the Mexican government, this was something you were talking about.
1: Absolutely. And and I think Alejandra is right to, to, to zoom out and say, it, this is happening in Mexico, but it's happening now, a model throughout Latin America. I saw it in Egypt, exactly what you're describing. And it is so deeply problematic and it is deeply systemic because what's happening is housing in this way and these mortgages are being used to kickstart economies or to grow economies. its It has nothing to do with the needs of the people, the needs of families, households. It is absolutely an economic move. It's a way for what we might call countries with peripheral economies, you know, like not first world, as they used to say, but peripheral economy countries. It's a way for them to financialize their economic system that then gives them access to more borrowing and more debt for themselves to grow economically. But it has nothing to do with families and households. And that's what I was talking with the Mexican government about. This is a while ago now. The idea of trying to recenter... Back to an understanding, simple understanding, housing as home and a human right, and to lay the legislative framework necessary to make that a reality and to ensure that financial policies are not dictating what housing looks like in the state of Mexico, and Mexico as a country, I mean. That you start from housing as home, housing as a human right, and that dictates whether you go to a mortgage based system or not, whether you financialize or not. And of course, a human rights approach would would make us move in a different direction.
3: Mm. Absolutely.
1: I didn't get that far in my discussions, though.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and I think the government was actually really resistant to to react for many administrations. There was actually a housing activist out of of the state of Mexico and out of uh, uh, an incipient organization called the Frente Mexiquense, which was actually imprisoned after protesting under the the past administration but the other quick thing that i will add though is that these policies were actually also very extractive of the resources of low-income households right a lot of this push was uh, through a, a major housing institute called infonavit which actually finances itself largely through a 5% tax on workers' earnings, right? And so this was fueling development in a very significant way without uh, residents or households having almost any say in, in where they were going to live, under uh, what conditions, how their cities would develop. So, so really problematic dynamics uh, playing out for, for a really long time.
0: Hmm. So there is a lot of models to be challenged, obviously. These kind of models coming from above and not even very functional.
4: If you're listening to this episode before March 10th, I have some very exciting news for you. Leilani and Frederick will be hosting a live on Twitter Spaces on Thursday, March 10th. Make sure to check out the details on our social media and see you on Thursday. Oh, and one more thing. Did you know that by becoming a patron, you help us spread Pushback Talks to new corners of the world. Join today at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks.
0: We have another guest here today who is in the center of housing as a human right, and she's based in Monterrey, which is in the north of Mexico, and Carla Escoffier, you wrote a book called The Right to Housing. Well, Derecho a la vivienda in México, the right to housing in Mexico. Uh, welcome, uh, Carla. What is your, 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 your I mean, Leilani, is, that's what she's stressing all the time. Housing is a human right. This is what you're into also.
5: Yeah, um, I think because if we want to understand the housing context in Mexico, we have to understand how we think about housing. The problem in Mexico is that we already have um, the housing as as a human right in our constitution, but it's funny because it's the only one right in our constitution that is for the families, not for people. If you see the constitution, all rights are about everyone has the right to health, to um, education, but when it comes about housing is a right for a family. This is not an accident. It's because in the Mexican system, the right is to the workers. Remember that our constitution came out of a revolution in 1917. And the idea was that if we give to every worker the right to access to easy credit to buy a house, we are going to solve the housing problem. And that's why in Mexico we have like three different ways to understand a housing right. The first one is when people understand housing as a form of right to property. I mean, when property came out as a form of um, real estate. The second one is when we think about housing as a worker's right, the right to access to these crates in infonavit and other government institutions. And the third one, is the understanding of housing as a human rights as a every person right and that doesn't um, end in the property or credit and rights or system, but also in for example, tenants rights and, and shelters and rights and, and homeless rights, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But what happened is that Mexican government has only focused in the last four years, in the credits um, system for workers. So that's why in Mexico we don't have, for example, public rent um, buildings as you have in Canada, United States, or on other countries. That's why when we talk, the, talk about housing in Mexico, it's really hard the government to understand that they also have to deal with um, homeless people, for example, this is crazy. But for the Mexican government, um, homeless is not a housing problem because the housing problems are only workers' problems. So that's why when we have these discussions in Mexico, it's really hard to um, arrive at the same discussion because when, for example, we're with Andres or Silvia or other activists and with the Mexican government, they only think about credits. So that's um, really interesting because this system that came from the revolution heritage in Mexico is really aiming to the financialization of housing.
1: Yeah, that's re- that's very helpful and really interesting. I actually didn't know that about the Constitution and the difference focusing only on families as opposed to the individual and what that then means. And this idea of who gets lost if you just focus on workers is super interesting. I know when I was rapporteur, I did go to Mexico City, actually. Uh, Sylvia will remember. And, you know, the numbers of people that were left out, Indigenous peoples whom I met who were living in really scary conditions after the earthquake you know in buildings like where you could see like the big cracks in the walls and wanting to be recognized by the government as having the human right to housing and just not being not being on the radar I didn't meet with government when I was there so I didn't have the conversation with them but um I think it's really useful to to think about that the the, the way the history of focusing on workers then ends up excluding and i imagine homelessness is a big problem in mexico i don't know if you have figures or statistics but it's a big country right you have 130 million population or something like this do you have a big homeless population that's not being recognized
5: well in fact in 2020 for the first time the government have a census of homeless people but it was not like finished because of the pandemic So we don't really know um, yet how many people are. They say that just in Mexico City are around 5,000. I think there are going to be more and and it's not a complete statistic. But another thing that you said is really important is the indigenous elements in Mexico um, housing troubles. Because when we talk about gentrification, for example, we have to think that the gentrification in Latin America and in Mexico it's not the same process as you see in England or United States or nor- um, northern countries. Because we also have this gentrification that comes with the idea of transforming indigenous people into white people. Because the M- Mexican state from the beginning, it tried to mix all the population. Uh, the difference between the um, racist and um, U.S. system was that there, they tried to separate and. Um, black people from white people. In Mexico, they try to mix us all to, and to forget that the indigenous people are indigenous people. So you also see that in the housing policy because the indigenous um, people in Mexico, they have a uh, traditional housing, for example, Mayan people in the Yucatan Peninsula where Cancunis, and they have these um, uh, Mayan um, houses that have been there for, how hundreds and hundreds of years they even resist hurricanes, and they have this like architecture that represents all the cosmology, all the way of life of Mayan people. And the Mexican government, with this kind of policy, are trying to change those Mayan houses to Western houses. So, when we talk about gentrification in Mexico or other kind of a process, we also are talking about. This um, whiteness and um, policy to change the indigenous um, people way of life.
0: Hmm. Mm. Uh, Carla in Monterrey, push is coming to your city. Did you know? It's the 10th of March in uh, actually two places. Cineteca Nuevo León and Cinemex Sada Which one will you pick?
5: Obviously, I'm counting the dates. I think <laughs> I'm going to the Cineteca because it's in a really nice place. So, so, yeah, but I'm
0: really excited. And other people here in Monterrey are too. That's cool. Cool, And and uh, we also have three cinemas in Guadalajara, Cineteca Guadalajara, Cinemex Plaza Patria, and Cineforo. So that's also something. And we actually, uh, for you, you can... Drive down to Cineteca Tijuana is also a place uh, to see the film. So it's 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 actually coming around in the country. And uh, do you think, Carla, that you will be able to, to use the film in your work in Mexico?
5: Yeah, in fact, I think that one amazing thing is that PUSH is coming to Mexico in a very special time. Because right now we have a really deep discussion um, about housing. And that's not, not normal in, in Mexico. Housing used to be like a topic like really segregate to a, a small group of people. It wasn't something that you find in newspapers or media or whatever. But in the last months, I think because of the pandemic and all the things that the pandemic show off uh, about the housing problem. Right now, we are discussion about uh, having a, a, a really interesting discussion about this. And so I think push is going to be a good element to show us that this is not, as Leilani said, this is not a Mexican problem, this is not a Mexico City problem, a Monterrey a problem, a Guadalajara problem. It's a national but also international problem. And if we don't understand how it works abroad, we're not going to understand how it connected with the problems that we are having the huge Mexican cities.
0: Right. I'm really happy to hear that, and I'm. And you should know, all of you, that I mean, there are some a number of screenings now organized in cinemas, but you can always organize more screenings. I mean, so you can always contact us or the distributor and and actually create more events if you if you want to do that in universities or in neighborhoods and so on. So it's I'm I'm really happy and it's, I'm really looking forward to come to Mexico and and talk about about this. We have another guest, and and I think. This is an old friend to you, uh Leilana Silvia Silvia Eman- She is. Emanuele. you have so you have to introduce Silvia because you know each other since way back.
1: Uh we do. Sylvia works at Habitat International Coalition. Uh and Habit for those who don't know, Habitat International Coalition, we call it HIC. HIC is a one of the most long-standing uh organizations, international organizations working on the right to the city and uh, the right to housing. Um, In fact, this is a little-known fact, Sylvia, my very, very first uh, mission when I was very young was to Kobe, Japan, and it was to investigate post-earthquake to see how were people living post-earthquake in Kobe many, many years ago. And I was on a team with the then head of HIC. And he really changed my life, I would say. He helped me to understand how important the human right to housing is. And so it's a real pleasure, Sylvia, to be in conversation with you again. Welcome to Pushback Talks. Thank so, you, Leilani.
4: Thank you all.
0: So what I mean, you've been looking into also housing now in the context of the pandemic. So what is the situation right now?
4: Yes, well, I will say the. Um, we really decide in March 2020, thanks also to the fantastic work Leilani was doing, really to push the government to make changes, uh, to have specific policy for housing in front of the pandemic. So we really um, articulate at the national level and then uh, in Mexico City really to discuss about uh, evictions. uh, For example, we work really hard on that. We build data in March 2020, and then last year again, the Institute of Social Research of UNAM. The idea was really design a questionnaire. The first one was for, uh, for Mexico City, And the metropolitan area and the second one was only focused on uh, mexico city to provide information of the obstacle faced by household to cover a payment related to housing in the capital of the country to ask them if they were evicted in which way if they suffer changing related to the place of residence, as well as the characteristic of the home and the number of people who lived it before the pandemic and when they asked for the survey. Um, and yes, we found out a really, interesting and sad uh, information in a way that the state is not really building. We were asking to the city also to try to really make a map around the pandemic and the housing situation. Uh, they didn't know, uh, they didn't want to, so we decided to do this uh, from the civil society uh, work, and uh, we highlight, thanks to the questionnaire, that the 55% of the people interview have Face difficulty in paying the rent or mortgage for their home due 55%. to different situation. Five percent, thirty-two percent of people had to move. Eighteen did wow. it inside Mexico City, and, f- and fourteen moved uh, to the state of Mexico in the uh, around Mexico City or another entity, another state. And 29% at the time of applying the survey were living in the houses of friends or relatives. This uh, explained that the uh, social uh, connection in a way were uh, really important here in Mexico. Not specific policy were made because of the pandemic. So really was the society in a way trying to solve problems. And this is not uh, only a situation of Mexico, but for sure was, was really clear. Another point I think that is really, really important is that the condition for renting um, have uh, relapsed considerably info, into informality. We had a really big problem on that. Uh, in 22, 60% of the people who answered the survey as a written contract, uh, but uh, uh, this uh, number dropped to 46%, for example, in 2021. Uh, 15% of the people were evicted, uh, mainly by the people who owned their property. Not really directly to tribunal. The tribunal were closed for many months uh, because of the pandemic, for, so was another kind of a uh, situation that in a way uh, justify uh, the eviction or uh, the way to, to evict people. And maybe the last thing that is really important is that we saw because of the questionnaire, the deterioration of the housing situation. Uh, before March 2020, practically all homes have space, uh, space for kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, and around 80% of a living room and dining room. And after the pandemic, the response of participants allow us to point out that there was a decrease in home that had space for kitchen, dining room, and also for internet service, exclusive toilet, garbage collection, and this kind of things. So now the situation of uh, Mexican people, people living in, in the city is becoming worse. And is so clear because of this kind of exercises, but also because of some official data.
0: Mm. Sylvia, in the, when before you came on, we were talking about this, this American tweeter in Mexico City, uh, Becca Sherman, who said it was so lovely, come and work in Mexico. So I can see that if, if 30% have to, to move during the pandemic and a lot of people, people have been kicked out, evicted, I can see that uh, the anger is already there, the stress in society is there. So, but maybe it's not the right thing to just to blame an American uh, nomad uh, worker for for this. It's a it's a bigger system, and this is what we've been looking into with with all you amazing people that you've been into our podcast today, uh,
1: Frederick. If I might, Frederick. we
4: are
0: excited because of Push <laughs> because
4: you
1: will help us to to still working on this issue sorry Leyland. no no exactly sylvia and that's the point of the film is to help to generate the conversations that should be happening around housing that are often not happening and i think um your research is super important to get that data especially from a human rights point of view i mean the government is in trouble and i'll say that it for this reason even in a pandemic, or maybe especially during a pandemic or any major crisis, the thing that governments are supposed to do is protect human rights. It's more important in the crisis to protect human rights in a certain way, right? Because it's more difficult. The fact that you're seeing backward movement with respect to housing the conditions getting worse, people being forced out of their homes. In law, we call it a retrogressive measure. In other words, it's it's sliding backward. That is considered a violation of international human rights law. When things get worse and the government doesn't step up to make sure things at least stay the same, so I mean, the government of Mexico is going to have to answer to that, and in Mexico City, for example, to say why they're not doing more to make sure people aren't losing their homes or that their conditions aren't getting worse. That's the role of government, and it's distressing for me to hear those figures you gave are very alarming. You know, like fifty-five, more than half of the people can't afford the rent or their mortgage. Mm. That's huge. Yeah, so yes, my, that's friends, so I my friends. Will,
4: sorry, I will. Sorry, just to say two things. One thing that is that true that the government didn't uh, decide to really build specific policies. But it is also true that they advance uh, the social uh, helps that they ah, have normally. Right. It's important to say that in Mexico uh, we have a renta universal uh, universal uh, help for older people, for example, that is not common everywhere. Uh, But they really thought that with that was enough. But normally is the younger um, population that now is renting and women alone with their kids are renting in Mexico City. So this is not enough. This helps are not really uh, getting uh, or arriving to the uh, correct people in a way. And another issue I will only say, I, I don't want to say that this government was saying everything correct, but is uh, the first government that really give a lot of money for social production of habitat. So uh, something is changing here yeah. is not only more financialization and that's it. But it's something a little bit more complex, but, uh, well, nice. it's not a solution, social
1: production of habitat for all. But. <laughs> no, but we like that. Frederick and I always like
0: hope. Hope is important. And so
1: there's some optimism there.
0: My friends, give me a, a last note, all of you, uh, of hope and how you will use push in, in Mexico.
2: I think something that is very important to mention, just to contextualize a little bit, With the failure of the credit system that others have previously mentioned, the only sort of alternative that we've seen governments implement, particularly at the local level, is just grant a lot of liberty to developers and let them just do whatever. Sort of what's happening in the United States with the discourse around the missing middle theory. And I think Bush uh, can help us sort of grab the microphone, so to speak, out of the hands of developers, because they are, they are the only ones that local governments have been listening to regarding how to provide adequate and attainable housing. So I think PUSH is going to be like a great opportunity for everyone to say, we as a society uh, have the right and the obligation to talk about this and to propose alternatives. We don't know what those alternatives are. But I think it's a huge opportunity for us to take the microphone out of the hands of developers and put them in the hands of people who pay rent. Uh, so I think that's the, that's a huge opportunity that Push is providing us, uh, letting people who pay rent start speaking about what they expect housing to be like.
0: Thank you, Andres. Uh, Alejandro Reyes.
3: Uh, I I would echo a bit of what Sylvia was mentioning. I do not want to appear too partisan, especially right now in Mexico. I think, unfortunately, we're getting increasingly divided, politically speaking. But I would argue that there's two things that have been important and that do provide me a little bit of hope. So on the one hand, civic organizing, and, and I think it's important to recognize that, especially in places like Mexico City, civic organizing has been strong for a really long time, since the 80s. That gives me hope, right? When when I was doing field research in these sort of like isolated, and sort of like largely vacant housing developments, the last thing that I expected to find was was organizing. And and it it, it is happening and it has happened around pushing for uh, restructuring of mortgages, for instance, of course, better housing conditions and living conditions in the peripheries. And second, like there's some things that have been implemented under the current administration, those restructuring alternatives, but also progressive mortgage rates. And this is something that was the case in Brazil as well in the late 2000s, early 2010s. It's something that goes contrary to finance globally, right? Mortgage rates are always regressive. They're regressive, like the the lowest income sectors do have the most burdensome rates. And so those are some of the sort of like positive signals to me currently. And so hopefully those two things, I think political actors and civic society push uh, is, is really important.
0: Thank you, Alejandra. Carla in Monterrey, <laughs> what is your final note?
5: Well, I think the if you see the whole Mexican history, one of the most important problems are the territory conflict from the independence to the revolution to the dictatorship and even with the war against drugs right now and uh, housing is territory and i think that we have to think the cities and the housing as territories to be protected to be reconquered to be see as a whole not just a piece of walls I mean, not any house is an island. Every housing is connected, so every life in those housings are connected. So if in Mexico we are capable to understand that this is our new territory problem, our new territory field to be defended, I think we can uh, manage to overwhelm these kind of problems that uh, we are having right now in the biggest city what gives me a lot, a lot of hope is that from a few years ago to nowadays, I have seen how the uh, housing topics are becoming more important in the media. Is are not the the, the main um, topic right now, but I think we have been uh, walking a little bit in, in that matter. So I really think that day by day people are understanding that housing is a human right and that. The housing problem that each person has are not like an isolated problems, are not just the re- result of individual lucky or something, but is the result of our more complex system, a uh, housing system that we are having in Mexico, but also uh, worldwide. So I think that if we can change the way we understand housing, and I think we are doing in Mexico, I think we can believe in a better date um, for housing in Mexico
0: that's cool i like that it's uh i mean if you think that change is possible you can also do change (laughs) Silvia.
4: Well, I will say that the concept of financialization is not an easy concept to understand and push is an educational film, I will say. In Mexico, we need really to reposition the debate on the right to housing. We are working hard to do so. We need also to make it more complex, find the differentiated uh, differentiated solutions for housing problem. We need also to use our local constituents because it is a really progressive one, and also issue clear instruments to really control the speculation. Uh, this year, as you know, marks 100 years of the Tenant movement in Mexico, and uh, I think that this film comes to participate really in the debate in a really important way. So thank you to choose this year to show push in very different places here. In
0: Mexico. Thank you, Sylvia. And and I know you are in Mexico City. So I will be the 11th of March at the Cineteca Nacional, and the 15th I will be at Cine Tonalá. And you're welcome. And there are also other events where I will attend. I don't have the full program yet, but it's uh, it's cool. And of course, but I mean the film will do its work also without me. So and. And now with all of you, I really urge you to grab the opportunity to talk to the to the cinema. Say, I, I need twenty minutes to talk after the film. The filmmaker asked me. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for being here. It's this first time. We have had so many guests at the same time. And of course, it's not really fair against anyone, but we, we, we tried our best and I thought it was really interesting.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you all so much. That was really great. I learned a, a ton too, which is, I love that. That's always my, that's always the best podcast. When we're actually learning something. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Carla. Bye-bye. You, everybody. Alejandra. Thank you. Bye, everyone. And thank you. you. Bye, Bye, Bye. <laughs> uh leilani thank you we we, it's it's cooking out there it's it's cool isn't it
1: so many things happening in so many different places
0: yeah and and the podcast are are also still alive still alive still alive thank you leilani and thank you all of you and, and see you soon
1: pushback talks is produced by wg film to support the podcast become a patron by going to patreon.com slash pushbacktalks or follow us on social media at make underscore the shift and push underscore the film.